You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We do have our sermon notes available uh, through the QR code in our bulletin if you want to access the um, slide notes. All right. Um, Last week, we began our study in the book of John, um, really focusing on the purpose of the book and and how it was written, and that uh, ultimately John writes so that we will believe in Jesus, particularly believe specific things about him, um, to believe in his deity, to believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, he's the promised one, he's the the promise keeper, he's the the solution uh, to man's sin issue. Um, From a summary sentence standpoint, we said the Gospel of John is a calculated recollection of Jesus' earthly life with the purpose being to bring us to initial faith that grows into a continual faith that ultimately can be described as a life-changing faith. So the purpose of John. John says, "I, I could have written a whole lot of stuff about the time of Jesus here because I spent a lot of time with him, heard a lot of sermons, a lot of talks, a lot of conversations. Um... We laughed and, and joked and, and were serious. And so a lot of things that he could have written down. He said, I've written these things down so that you'll believe him. I've written these things down so that you will believe him. And not just that one-time initial come to Jesus, become a Christian type faith, but so that you will keep on believing him. You'll keep on believing him when times are difficult, when times are tempting. You keep believing in him. Uh, and your belief is, is, is such that it changes your life. Um, that, that, you, that you're radically changed by this belief. And we talked about the uniqueness of this gospel, that it's going to exclude a lot of stuff that we've heard about Jesus that are found in the other three gospels, but it's also going to include some things that the other gospels don't include. Um, John 20, 30 through 31 is that thesis or purpose statement for the book. Um, I, I'm writing this so that you'll believe. And, and John writes like this. He wrote 1 John he wrote 1 John 5.13 that says, I've written this book so that you will know that you have eternal life, so that you'll have assurance of your salvation. So there's that apologetical purpose. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know who he is as revealed in his word. And then the evangelical purpose is I want you to believe him. I want you to trust him. I want your life to be changed by him. And so we looked at both of those points last week, that we want to believe right theology about Jesus, that he's the Messiah. Um, And we said that believing Jesus is different than an intellectual type belief, that um, even the demons believe according to God's word. Uh, But that instead, based on what we see in God's word, based on things that we see outside of God's word, with with our brains being able to hear a presentation of who Jesus is, that we determine that he's worth believing in based on how God's word reveals him. And that belief our, our life is now patterned and directed by his instructions for us. Um, and we said specifically last week that we need to believe that he's the Messiah, uh, that he's the one who comes to fulfill the Old Testament. We see that in the book of Hebrews. Um, he fulfills all the promises of God. But not only is he the Messiah, he's the divine Messiah. He's not just a man, but he's the God-man. And by believing him, we see in John 3, 16, John eight twenty four. by believing in him, we receive life. We receive new life now and new life to come. And I told you last week, new life now is uh, a perspective of belief in Jesus that 
He carries us through the difficult times. He carries us through our difficult marriages. He carries us uh, through our difficult circumstances when it comes to our jobs and, and our money situations. He carries us through trials and sickness, that we don't walk away from Jesus when times get difficult. We run to Jesus. We cling to him to carry us through those difficulties. And so application last week, I told you, let's prepare in this John study to, to really have our faith strengthened, but not so that we can just hang on to it, so that we can pass it to others. We, we want to see our faith strengthened, but we want to see people rescued from darkness to light. And, and I told you last week, man, what a joy it'll be as we work through this book if we begin to see some of our children come to know Jesus as their Savior, as, as us parents, as us as adults in this church, communicating to them what we are learning about Jesus, specifically from the Gospel of John, because the Gospel of John is written so that we might believe in him. All right, so John chapter 1 is where we're at today, and I told you that we're going to briefly introduce this passage to you today. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. From a summary sentence standpoint today, as followers of Jesus Christ, placing our faith in him for salvation, it is imperative that we have a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is based on how he is revealed in the word. Because we're followers of Jesus, and and most of us claim that today, most of us sit here and claim to be followers of Jesus, we claim that we are putting our faith in him for salvation, it's absolutely imperative that we know who he is based on how God's word reveals him. Because we are banking our lives on him, right? Like we are banking our salvation on him. We are banking our future on him. How, How silly for us to not really grasp an understanding of who he is. Now, that, that understanding ought to be growing as we grow and mature in our life, right? So a child is going to have a, a potentially deep understanding of Jesus for their age. It would be very elementary maybe for us to have that same type of understanding. So our kids ought to have an understanding of Jesus, but that understanding should continue to grow and increase and deepen over the years as they're able to better understand his teachings and better understand how God reveals him. So This is kind of an ongoing thing as you continue to grow and mature, both age and maturity-wise. You continue to learn more and more about Jesus. If if we claim to follow him, we claim to place our faith and trust in him, it's imperative that we have a clear understanding of who he is based on how he is revealed in the word. I told you in our discussion groups, I wanted you to kind of think through who is Jesus based on what you already know about what God's word has to say. Like if you had to kind of package, uh, deliver to somebody else. This is who Jesus is. As I was studying uh, this morning and reflecting on on previous studies, I I wanted to try to, for my own self, what would I say about Jesus and how would I try to capture some of the most important things about him uh, if if I was to try to define or describe who he is. And so I wrote this down today. Jesus is God, now revealed in human flesh. And so we, we reference him sometimes as the God-man to, to parallel that, that deity and that humanity. Jesus is God, now revealed in human flesh, and is the second person of the Trinity, meaning a distinct person that is fully equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these are some things that kind of resonated with me this morning when we talk about an understanding of the Trinity 
um, an understanding of Jesus and how he fits into our understanding of the Trinity. He is God, now revealed in human flesh. So he's the, the, the human revelation of, of, of what we understand God to be. He's God, now revealed in human flesh. Sometimes coined that term, the God-man. He's the second person of the Trinity with, with God the Father being the first person and God the Holy Spirit being the third person, meaning a distinct person that is fully equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. I believe God's Word reveals Jesus in this way, and, and it's important that we understand uh, some of the conversation here about what this means and, and some of the ways that other people distort this. And so uh, backing up, this is the, the key verse for today, and it's the verse that's oftentimes distorted by other religious groups. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right. Um, this is a key verse for the Jehovah's Witnesses and their theology because they translate this as, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Okay, And so they are going to describe Jesus as really separate from God the Father, as, as a complete separation from him, as, as one of potentially many gods. Right? And so he is a God rather than the God that we understand in God's word. And um, it, it's really tied to a probably a deeper understanding of the, the, the Greek language than you really want to have maybe this morning. Others would, would maybe desire to have a little bit more depth with that Greek knowledge. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you like a, a quick like minute, two minute, probably not even that long understanding of what's going on in the Greek here. Okay, When, when you look at the Greek language, and that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses go to with this passage. They want to they go to the original language to better understand what's being taught here. There's no definite article, the, in this passage. It's, it's not there. And so it allows for the, the, the vowel A to be subbed in there as a God. Okay? And there's reasons for that in the Greek language. Okay? Where, where the words fall in the sentence kind of necessitates what words need to be included if you were Greek, reading the original Greek language to understand what the author's trying to say, okay? Um, the way that John has written this, not putting the definite article in there, okay, allows us to see in the Greek language that it's, it's functioning as a predicate nominative, okay? So it's like, whoa, like, what's going on there? Like, that's, back, that's English 101, that's English in high school, okay? Predicate nominative simply means that the subject of the sentence is being linked very closely with that, with that word that's called the predicate nominative, okay? And so what we have here is Jesus being described as God, being defined as God. But John particularly writes it in such a way to where it's an appropriate distinction without a heretical distinction, okay? So what he's trying to do here, and it's really complicated, and I get really nervous standing up here talking about the Trinity because the more you talk about the Trinity, the more you borderline are, are a heretic in trying to even verbalize things about the Trinity. Because it's, it's a hard concept to understand. We're talking about one God. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. A one God that's got distinct persons in it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but not distinct gods. Right? And so John, I think probably really sweated out the first part of this, this, this gospel, right? Like, I can get into the stories, and I look forward to telling you about the, the, the water turning into wine at the, at the wedding feast in Cana. I got to get this first chapter right, okay? And so I think he was very intentional, and we believe every 
word in, in the Bible is inspired, okay? And he used personalities of the authors to write it, but every single word, I think, is very carefully chosen. And there's, there's big arguments that are in Scripture that Jesus says this word was chosen specifically to make this theological point. And I believe that's going on here. John chooses very specifically the words that he uses because this is the best way to state the nature of Jesus without blurring the distinctions between the Father and him. Okay? This is where I want to bring Tyson into our discussion so that we can better understand how do we understand the deity of Jesus here how do we understand the right theology of Jesus in this passage and not get confused or uh, deceived by somebody who maybe shows up at our door trying to tell us something different about what we've always heard in church? Okay, so I'm going to invite Tyson to come. He's going to share with us briefly this morning about that. So the Greek leaves out any type of definite article. In, so we don't have a definite article here, Okay. But because the definite article isn't there, it allows them to add in the concept of a God, meaning uh, a different God. The Greek does not include it, no. And the reason that he doesn't is so that he can make the point of it being a predicate nominative, okay? And if you want to email me and you're like, that was too brief for me, I'd like to know more about that, I can give you resources to look at that, okay? All right, thanks uh, for being patient with me as um, I am not an expert on this at all. The reason why we're not covering John 1-1 from an Islamic perspective today is primarily because most of your interactions at work, um, unless you have family, is not probably going to be in the form of Islam. Um, it's going to be, you're going to be at home, someone's going to come to your house, and they're going to be Jehovah's Witnesses. So um, as Adam asked me to start thinking about that, I looked into all the Greek here. I don't pretend to know it, but it, it is enough to make your head hurt. So thankfully, I'm going to just kind of give you just a really practical way to look at the scriptures. If you are in a spot with a Jehovah's Witness, you can have a conversation with them and not have to include Greek at all. And so that sounds good, right? Because none of us are Greek scholars, including me. Um, And if you really studied it, I think that you can make a really, really great uh, case for why the scriptures not only teach that Jesus is God, but they are so perfectly written and inspired. Because as Adam was saying, even if this article was in a different spot than it actually not only doesn't teach us that Jesus was God, but it actually promotes a heresy. But because it's exactly where it is, it teaches us that Jesus is God and refutes two heresies at the same time. So there is a really great, awesome thing that you can dive in deeper, but for the sake of today, uh, that's not what I'm going to do very briefly. But just to kind of give you an idea, these heresies that we're dealing with today are not new. That's one thing that we need to know, is that Jehovah's Witnesses have not come up with something new. Mormons actually kind of have, but uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses haven't. Um, in, in, in the early church, I'm talking about the first couple of hundred years or so, there were heresies that were coming out. Um, one particularly, I don't even know the guy's name, how to say it, but we call it modalism today. And what that means is that people didn't really want to believe that the Trinity were three distinct persons. So they basically said, okay, we believe in one God who exists in like three different roles or modes. And they would use like an example like, I am a father, and yet at the same time a husband, and also a teacher. There's only one me, but I exist in three different roles. We, very, we, we believe very strongly that the scriptures teach us that, that, uh, that the persons of the Godhead are distinct. It's not one God and three different personalities, per se. So, um, but that's not where we're heading. The other 
uh, false teaching was called something called Arianism. And Arianism was by a guy named Arius who just, he said, no, they're distinct, but they just can't be God. Like, they have to be three distinct individuals. There's God Almighty, and then there's lesser created divine beings, and Jesus must be one of them. This verse here, the reason why they have to translate it the way that they have to is honestly to fit the theology that they they hold to. So if they're going to believe that Jesus is not God, they have to do something with this translation. So the translation, as Adam mentioned, is not, and the word was God, it was the word was a God. Now, I, I, I promise you, if you go to a Jehovah's Witness about this and try to even talk about this, they've kind of been instructed in their script to just shut down because they they, they want this feeling of like an open conversation and I've had a guy like I'm pleading with him like listen I this is not about words I just want to tell you that if our faith if you're going to say you believe in the deity of Christ based off of what the word says we need to know what the word says and it's like no we're not talking about that like we're here to deliver the script and by the way if you take the script even if you don't have a conversation with them it's job complete for them so they're working for their salvation so I would encourage you don't slam the door in their face have a conversation with them but if they want to leave you with literature don't take it That's just a side note, okay, because that enables them to uh, feel like they've done their duty in order to move on. Okay, one thing, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll look at John chapter 1, very briefly, I'm going to show you, um, there's there's plenty of things that we could do in this brief amount of time, but what I'm going to show you is just something very simple that this whiteboard is. If you have a napkin, if you're sitting at a coffee uh, place or uh, at your door and you've got a scrap piece of paper, um, then you can you can do something simple like this. And again, the goal is not to win an argument. That is not what I'm here to tell you to do. The goal is not to win an argument. It's simply to, if they were to go here because they're scripted to go here, that you can encourage them to go there and stay there. And what I mean by that is they want to drop theological bombs on you and move on. We want to go to John 1 if they'll let us go there, and we want to encourage them to continue reading in their own translation. Um, in their translation, as Adam said, it says this. I feel bad even having this up here, but in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. This one was in the beginning with God. So I want you to compare that to what you see in front of you, okay? This one was in the beginning with God. I think ours says something nearly identical, right? He was in the beginning with God, okay? Verse 3 is our key right here. It says, all things, let's read it in ours actually first, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's listen to theirs. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. I kind of like the way that that sounds, right? Let's listen to it again and look at yours. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. So if a Jehovah's Witness or anybody, even let's, let's take them out of the equation. This is just an unbeliever that doesn't know who Jesus is. Maybe they've heard a lot about him, right? You can take them to John 1. Don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses' abuse of this text and the Greek scare you from going to John 1 to prove the deity of Jesus. This is a great text to prove it because why? It says it really clearly, right? It's, it's very plain. So don't uh, shy away from this. Just stay, right? So one, one small thing is if they try to say, well, you know, it doesn't have the article, and so we put it in, you could just simply say, well, can we keep reading? Because there are other times that God's name comes up in this first chapter here that you don't do that with, right? It wouldn't make sense to go on to verse 6 and say there was a man sent from a God whose name was John, or go down to verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of 
a God. Or verse 18, no one has ever seen a God, the only a God who is at the Father's side. So they're only doing it in the one spot. Like the, the, if I had read that from their translation here on my phone, they would have only had God right there. They wouldn't have put that A there. So they only do it where necessary in order to teach that theology. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But this right here, okay, um, this is kind of the point of, if you were looking at verse 3 and just staying at verse 3, that's what I would do. Um, really just taking someone to realize that the, the scriptures, even in their translation, are still teaching that Jesus has to be the creator. And what we mean by that is you can just simply draw a box, something like this, and you could say, hey, this, this, this box, and it hopefully would be more of a box, it's like a rectangle, but here's a box, and this represents everything that exists. Okay, can we agree on that? And you're having a conversation with them. And you could say, okay, in this first square, we're going to say all things, this, this is going to represent all things that never came into being. Okay, so this, we're going to separate everything in existence into two categories. Things that weren't created, things that were. Sound simple? With that, we've got to, I don't want to lose you. Let's think very simply. This is not meant to be complex. Everything that's in existence, right, either was here before it existed or it was created. There's no alternate explanation, okay? All things that never came into being. And simply on this side, all things that came into being. Okay? And you ask your friend, whoever that friend may be. Let's read the verse 3 again. And we'll read it in their verse. You could take their Bible. That's right in front of you. And it says, All things came into existence through him, and apart from him not even one thing came into existence. You've read in the beginning was the word. You ask your Jehovah's Witness friend, what goes in this box? What do you think goes in this box? Anything in the existence that never came into being. Something that's always existed. Someone... What goes in this box? God, right? God, and, and they will be very, very uh, willing to, to give you that answer very quickly. You don't have to worry about standing there and confusing. They're going to say Jehovah, Jehovah God. I mean, he, he's uncreated, right? And then you read the verse again that just simply says, all things came into existence through him. Who's him? Well, they're going to say the word. And they're going to say, yes, we believe that Jehovah created Jesus first, and then Jesus created everything. But that's not what John 3 says, even in their translation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. This one was in the beginning with God. Was in the beginning, not created. All things came into existence through Him. All things came into existence through Him. And apart from Him, not even one thing came into existence. So what goes in this box? Well, everything else, right? All created things, everything else. You simply show from verse 3, who creates everything else according to the verse and according to them? Who creates this? Jesus, or the Word. So you just say Jesus here. He creates that. And then you can give him the marker. Say, Jesus is responsible for creating everything here. And this is the box where the things that are not created belong. Will you please write Jesus where he belongs? Put him where he needs to go. Will you show me I need Jesus in one of these boxes, please, because this is the only two places here, right? This is, again, not to be complex. It's just simply to say, I'm not, I'm not having a, a philosophical argument. I'm just looking at verse 3 in your translation, or I'm looking at verse 3 according to the way that the Scriptures write it. He cannot be both the Creator and created at the same time. 
if they put him here, then the discussion's over, right? And you tell them the gospel, and we lead them to salvation, right? If, if they put him here, then they've got major, major issues within their own system, right? So again, all I'm trying to encourage you to do is that I don't want you to feel like you have to be prepared to have some type of argument of a Jehovah's Witness. When they go to the Greek, you don't have to go there with them. You could simply say, Can, do you mind if we keep reading into verse 3? Let's just read and let's talk about Jesus. Because if Jesus goes in this box here, then it settles the issue with that, right? He's not a God if he's uncreated, the God. Does that make sense? So again, this is something that is not meant to take a long time. I'm going to give it back to Adam. Thankfully, he's going to teach things that are make sense and come from the Word. But this is necessary, especially if you're in Sonoy. On a Saturday, these guys are going to be on the corner of where that, uh, that shop is and where the furniture store is every Saturday. They're going to be there. Um, so th- they're making an impact in our community, and they're doing a fairly consistent job of doing so. So it's, it's worth our time to not only be inspired by the hope that scriptures give us that Jesus is our God that we worship, but also to be prepared to evangelize. Not only Jehovah's Witnesses, but our friends. Show them that Jesus is more than a man. And if he's more than a man, then the things that he said, right, we, we have to believe. And if he's resurrected from the dead, then those things that he said were vindicated by God. And one of the things that he said is he's coming to judge the living and the dead. So we, we need to be prepared to know this Christ. We need to be prepared to know this Jesus um, because we will have to give an account and face him one day. And that's why we, we don't want to win arguments. We want to lead people to the gospel. So, back to John 1.1 1, 1, um, and how we want to see that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Not a God, but was God. Okay? Um, John 1.1, 1, 1, I don't know if you read it and immediately think what I think. I think about Genesis 1.1 1, 1 when I'm reading this because it sounds very similar to how the entire Bible begins, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John writes in such a way, and I told you, there's, there's no uh, Christmas story account here in John because he's thinking bigger picture than Jesus's humanity beginning. He's thinking bigger picture about the eternality of, of Jesus, right? So he says, in the beginning, immediately, if, if you're a Jewish individual reading this or you have any understanding of the Old Testament, you're thinking, hey, I've heard in the beginning before. That's Genesis 1-1, right? So he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So immediately John says, I want you to connect the fact that way back at the very beginning, Jesus is there, right? And Jesus is doing some things. And, and that's not fully clear when you read Genesis 1-1, because your theology, if, you just, if you've never read the Bible and you start with Genesis 1-1, you have no real concept of Jesus and how he fits into the Bible yet. You read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so you walk away saying, okay, there's a higher, higher level being who is the, the source or the origin of everything that we have. Now John clarifies for us and says, you know, we got Jesus back there in Genesis 1-1, right? Like, let me, let me further clarify, further reveal to you what's going on in the Old Testament. And we said this all through Hebrews. Jesus is the fulfillment of some of these pictures and, and some of the, the gaps that are there in the Old Testament for us because God is steadily and progressively telling us more and more and more about him. And here in John 1, God says, let me clue you in that there was a lot going on back there in Genesis 1-1 because it wasn't just the Father back there. We've got Jesus present. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Um, and the Word was God. Okay? He... Um, Going back to 
our definition. He is God now revealed in human flesh and is the second person of the Trinity, a distinct person that is fully equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. It, kind of, it may kind of read funny to you with that word now listed there, but that's a really important word when we understand the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Because turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and I want, you to, I want to help you see when we talk about Jesus being eternal, there's some aspects of him that are eternal in the sense that they have always been and always will be. And then there are other things about Jesus that haven't always been, but now always will be. Okay, so there's some things about Jesus, these have always been true about Jesus, and they will always be true about Jesus. They were never not true about Jesus. But there's one aspect of Jesus that was not always true about him, but now it is true about him, and it will always be true about him moving forward. And we get this from Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Paul is writing here, and he says there was a point in history where Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. What state was Jesus in when he did this? What well, says he was in the form of God? So we understand Jesus to have always been God. Always. He didn't become God through his obedience. He didn't become God after he got crucified. He didn't become God when he ascended into heaven. He's always been God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Okay? He's always been God. He was in the form of God. But then, Paul says, there came a point in time in history where he says, Jesus takes on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So when we understand Jesus, he was not always man. He became man. And he does not cease to be man today, right? He didn't come down here and say, okay, for 33 years, I'm going to put on a human suit and I'm going to walk around and look like a human, act like a human, talk like a human, but I'm going to be the best version of a human they've ever seen. Get done with his work and unzip his suit and say, okay, now I'm back in the form of God, right? He's always been God and he always will be God. And then he takes on the form of a man and becomes God man forever moving forward. Okay? And that never changes. And that's important because that's where our hope lies. He is the picture of what we will become one day. Right? So he's walking around after his resurrection in a glorified body, a glorified body that sometimes they don't even fully recognize him just yet because maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe we don't know why. But his glorified body is one that looks very human. Right? It's sitting around and it's eating with his disciples post resurrection. They're sitting around at the, at the beach eating fish. Right? So he's got a very human body that can be touched by, by Thomas when he's doubting whether this is really the resurrected Jesus. Right? Thomas is like, I'm not, I'm not interested in a ghost. I'm not interested in seeing the ghostly form of Jesus where he's separated from his body. You guys tell me he's back from the dead? Then that means a bodily resurrection. And Jesus says, here it, here it is. 
touch my hands. This is the body that hung on the cross, right? So he's always been God, but he is now understood in human form. And he wasn't understood that way in the Old Testament. They were waiting for that. We're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for the human form of God. And, and God in Jesus, second person of the Trinity, takes on human form, wasn't always human, takes on human form, and will always be human moving forward as the God-man. So he doesn't ever cease to be God. He's always been God, but he's not always been man. He's now man, and he will always be man moving forward. That's why I want to highlight that, that word for you there. Jesus is God now revealed in human flesh, because we live post the incarnation of Jesus. We live after Jesus becoming man, okay? So um, not always been man, but now will always be moving forward. He has that full nature of man. Why is that important? We're going to talk about the deity of Jesus here today, but we also want to see the importance of his humanity. His humanity is really important as well. He is God, but he's also God in fleshly form. His humanity provides value to his obedience. You can jot these passages down. We're not going to take time to look at them. But his humanity provides value to his obedience. These passages talk about him being the second Adam. He's the one who gets it right. right? God says, you got to be perfect. you got to be holy. If you want to be with me, there can be no sin. Well, the best human beings have been sinful. And there's always these opportunities for a reset, right? Like you have Adam who's created. He's created with, with the opportunity to be obedient, and he fails. Well, then God kind of clears the deck and starts over with Noah. But Noah messes up really quickly after he gets off the ark, right? So he's not tempted or influenced by other people. He can't blame it on somebody else. Like he's, he's, it's him and his family on the earth, and he finds a way to sin after all the sin's been removed. All the, all the, all the presence of sin through people has been removed, right? Then you have Abraham, and, and Abraham's a failure at times. And you keep kind of fast forwarding and you see these different people. Moses, failure. David, failure. The prophets, failures. Right? Faithful to God, but, but certainly flawed and failing at times. Jesus shows up and he's the, he's the, he's the second Adam. Right? And, and, he, and he comes through for us. And, and his obedience doesn't matter if he's not really human. It doesn't count for us if he's not really human. His humanity makes allowance for his sacrifice. We talked about in Hebrews chapter 2, he's got to be made like us for this sacrifice to count. So a lot of, lot of bad doctrine out there about Jesus looking like a human but not really being a human. They're, they're not comfortable with just having to be okay with God, man, 100% on both sides, right? Like our, our minds don't compute that way, and so we try to justify God in human terms, and it doesn't work. I don't want a God that I can explain in human terms all the times. Like, I want him to be better than me. I want him to be deeper than me because I'm counting on him to save me. I'm counting on him to be my everything, okay? His humanity makes allowance for his sacrifice. Number three, his humanity provides hope for our future glorification. First John 3 says, we haven't seen and really grasped what we are going to be like, right? Like, we're, we're a work in progress. We're saved. We're being sanctified, and and. Lord willing, and, and praise be to God that hopefully we're not what we looked like when we first got saved, that we've progressed and we've, we've seen sin get weeded out and we've seen uh, righteousness start to, to really play itself out in our daily life. Hopefully we're not just like we were when we first got saved. Unless you got saved yesterday, you might look real similar, right? But we aren't what we we're going to be either. Like nobody in here has, has reached a point where they can say, 
man, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. Like, this, this is what everybody else is trying to obtain to, right? Like, John says, we haven't seen what we're going to be. But when Jesus shows up, he will be that picture for us. He'll be that picture for us in that future glorified state, okay? So his humanity is extremely important to us when we understand who Jesus is. This passage, though, specifically, where I want to leave us with today, emphasizes the deity of Jesus, emphasizes the deity of Jesus. So you can jot down these three points, and again, I apologize for not having notes today. John's all about believing, so let's talk about some things that we really need to believe today in light of what John says to us. Number one, believe that the Bible reveals Jesus as God. Not as a God, but the God. Believe that the Bible reveals Jesus as God. John 1.1, we've read it numerous times today. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Believe that the Bible reveals Jesus as God, okay? So we see that verse there. Now, as I was looking at this uh, this morning and kind of wrapping up my notes, I, I'd kind of finished everything, but I just wanted to go back and look at it one more time. And I said, okay, no commentaries, no resources, no tools. Let's just look at what John 1, 1 says. And it's broken up into really three sections there with the commas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is an unbelievable amount of theology packed into that one sentence, those three phrases that tell us so much about Jesus, okay? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You highlight that first section there. In the beginning was the Word. What does that tell us about Jesus? He's eternal like God. He's not the created being that the Jehovah's Witnesses would teach here, because John is connecting us back to Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are we talking about there? Who are we talking about there? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus because in the beginning was the word. He was already there in the beginning when God began to create this world. In the beginning, what happened? God created the world. He created the heavens and the earth. Well, who was there with him? Jesus, according to this passage. In the beginning was the word. He's eternal like God. Secondly, the word was with God. Right? And so John's trying to help us see, hey, this is difficult to understand, but we've got Jesus, who is God, but he's also at the same time with God the Father. And that's where sometimes you have to really step back and say, are we talking about God, the, the triune God, when we see the word God in Scripture? Or are we saying the, the Father person of God, because we typically call him just God as well. Right? And so here we're seeing the word was with God the Father, He is in the beginning. He is with God. He's distinct as God. All right? And then number three, he's equal with God. Right? He's not not lower than God. He's not less than God the Father. He's, He's completely equal with God. He's in the beginning with God. So right there in the beginning, he's eternal. He's with God as a distinct person with the Father, but he is also God, meaning that he is equal with God. Man, a ton packed in there to understand the Trinity. He's eternal. Jesus is the eternal second person of the Trinity, right? He's in the beginning. He is with God. He's distinct as the Son, distinct as that second person, but he's certainly not lower or less than 
God the Father because he is God as well. He is completely equal with God. And we need to believe this about Jesus, right? We need to believe it at the appropriate age and maturity that we're at right now. And so that may look a little bit different for a child versus what it looks like as an adult. But we need to believe that Jesus is God as the Bible has revealed him. Believe him, John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, all right? Now let's fast forward a little bit into John. Secondly, not only do we want to believe that the Bible reveals Jesus as God, secondly, we want to believe that Jesus presents himself as God, right? Some, some skeptics out there would say that the disciples created this idea about Jesus being God after he was gone, that Jesus never intended to be seen as God, never intended to be viewed that way, that that was uh, a misnomer by his disciples that they kind of added back later. But we need to see that Jesus very clearly presents himself as God, not just in the passages I'm going to give you, but specifically in the Gospel of John he does this in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, he's having discussion with some people that believe in him, some people that not. Probably gets a little bit heated uh, in this discussion. And the Jews who don't believe, verse 48, respond to some of his teaching about being the light of the world. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Remember, we've talked about the, the false assumptions by people who would hear the whole gospel presentation. And instead of saying, my Lord and my God, like Thomas does, they say, you're from the devil, right? And that's where John introduces this idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says, man, if you've had the entire picture of the gospel and, and, and what you now assume about, the, about Jesus is that he is from Satan, man, like, like there's not much left to tell you. You have completely denounced the work of Jesus and, and claimed it as satanic. And that's what they're doing here again. You have a demon. Jesus answers, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Right, like they're asking Jesus, who are you? Because we're, we're a little confused, and we think we know what you're saying, but we want to hear it from you. Like, no more confusion, no more, no more talking in riddles. Like, tell us exactly, who are you, right? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. All right? And so he's, he's, he's particularly using words here again, like I told you. The, the Bible's inspired word for word, not, not phrase by phrase, not idea by idea, word for word. Jesus could have easily said, Before Abraham was, I was. Right? Like, like, you think Abraham has been around for a long time? I, I existed before Abraham. Right? He could have easily said, before Abraham was, I was in the beginning. It would have been totally appropriate. He could have said it that way. But he, 
he says something that every English teacher would, would, would scribble red all over and say, you're not using the correct English here, or in their case, the language they were speaking. He would say, this isn't right. Like, like this is incorrect grammar. This is incorrect usage here. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Well, you can't have something in the present prior to something in the past, right? The way we understand past, present, and future, it doesn't work that way. But Jesus isn't just trying to give them an understanding of timeline, right? Like he's identifying himself with Yahweh of the Old Testament who reveals himself as the I am in Exodus chapter 3. So you can jot this passage down. Most of you are familiar with this, Exodus three fourteen, right? Moses is before the burning bush and, and hey, I'm going to go do this, God. Maybe I'm still pretty hesitant, but you're telling me to go tell your people and tell Pharaoh that we're leaving this place. How do I identify you? When they say, where's this message coming from? Is it from the sun god that the Egyptians worship? God says, no, you tell them, I am sent you, right? And so that's what Jesus is connecting here. He's saying, you want to know my identity? I am. Like, and, and he would have known very clearly how they would have taken that, right? Like, like he's, not, he's not trying to be something or, or communicate something that he's not. He's, he's wanting them to grasp, I believe that I'm God. And I'm asking you to decide, do you believe that as well? So he says, before Abraham was, I am, right? And then we see next here, their reaction. So they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You're like, man, like that, that argument, like getting heated. And then it got real serious, right? Like, like we're not just disagreeing about something here. Like we're ready to kill you over what you've just said. Why would they be that angry about him saying that he's the I am unless they perceived that to be him identifying himself with God? You back up just a little bit to John chapter 5 in verse 18. We'll start in verse 16. This is, what, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, So they're angry. Jesus is doing work that they deem inappropriate on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus could have corrected this if he wanted to, right? Like he he could have clarified and said, you've misunderstood, put your rocks down. That's not what I'm claiming here. I'm not claiming to be equal with God. You've misunderstood me. But he never corrects them, right? Like he readily accepts, he readily accepts their understanding because that is what he's trying to communicate, okay? So we want to, first of all, believe that the Bible reveals Jesus as God, but it's not just biblical authors that are revealing Jesus as God. It's Jesus himself presenting himself as God, right? The Pharisees' reaction shows they believed he was presenting himself as God. John 5 lets us know that Jesus was being very faithful to present himself as equal with God, And then number three, believe that Jesus is God as others did, all right? So not only do we want to just believe that the Bible reveals him this way, not only do we want to believe that Jesus presented himself this way, now we've got to move into that third area where we say, I believe that he is God. I believe that he is God, and others were required to do that in Scripture too. John 20, 28 is the Thomas passage. It's right before our passage where John says, I have written these things so that you will believe. John 20, 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. (coughs) Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This, com- this, this, this comment here, my Lord and my God, the Greek word for Lord is the word curious. And, and it is used, listen to this, it's used over 6,000 times, almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament Greek translation for Yahweh. Okay, so Thomas absolutely believes that he's the God of the Old Testament because he uses the word that the Greek translators use for God in the Old Testament so many times. Thomas says, I know who you are now. I'm ready to admit it. You're, you're, you're my Old Testament God. You're Yahweh. You're, you're my Lord and my God. I'm embracing this. I'm embracing this. And, and, and certainly that's great. Right? Like Jesus commends him for it, but he also commends people who are willing to do this without seeing some of this. Right? Great, Thomas, that you, you've done this now that you've seen all the evidence. Blessed are those who, who will make that step, who will make that confession on an act of faith, not seeing all these things, right? So believe the Bible reveals Jesus is God, believe that he presents himself as God, and then believe that Jesus is God as others did, all right? These are, these are just a couple of, of passages that, that lend support to the idea of the deity of Jesus, right? But you look at the New Testament as a whole, the general testimony of the New Testament reveals Jesus to be God. And I wanna give you this quick acronym before we close today. The general testimony of the New Testament reveals Jesus to be God. And you can remember this way from the, the HANDS acronym. Jesus deserves the honors only due to God, right? Like we don't worship things that aren't God. We worship God. And we see in Scripture when things that aren't God are being worshiped and confused, they come from heaven, but they're not God. What do they do? Get up off your knees, quit worshiping me. That's only for God, right? We saw that in Revelation where, where John wants to worship the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 no. I'm just like you. I'm a, I'm a created being. We don't, you don't worship me. Worship God. Jesus deserves the honors only due to God, the way the New Testament talks about him. Jesus shares the attributes that only God can possess. Jesus is given names that can only be given to God. Jesus performs deeds that only God can perform. We won't see it in John, but obviously from the other gospels, we see him casting out demons. We see him controlling storms, right? We see him as Lord of his creation. Only God should be able to do those things. It helps us to see that he is God, not just through these proof texts that that we can look at, but the whole New Testament gives us a picture of Jesus as God. He possesses a seat on the throne of God, right? So these are some clear ways that we see this running theme throughout the New Testament that the authors want us to see Jesus as God. They give him honor that's only due to God. They describe attributes that he has that only God can possess. They give him names that only can be given to God. He performs deeds that only God can perform, and he possesses a seat on the throne of God. I like what one author said that I was reading. He says, man, we're so oftentimes talking about Jesus being God, right? And he said, man, it's worth flipping that and saying God is Jesus 
as much as Jesus is God, right? So let's, we don't want to work back towards God. Is the human Jesus God? Yes, absolutely. But what does that mean then? It means that Jesus is, is God, but also that God is Jesus, right? God is Jesus in human form. He is the, the best way sometimes for us to really understand who God is because he is God in all of our understanding as a human being. We get to see God in the, the thing that we understand best, and that's human beings. So yes, Jesus is God, absolutely, but the, the flip side is true. The flip side is true. God is Jesus. God is Jesus. That's what a predicate nominative does for you, right? Like you flip it around with that linking verb. Jesus is God, yes. God is Jesus, yes. Okay? Application for us. If we believe right theology about Jesus, and what we've seen is that he is creator God, right? In the beginning, he's, he's eternal with God, right? <clears throat> In the beginning uh, was the word. The word was with God, right? He's distinct. He was God. He is God. He is, he's equal with God. So he is creator God. If we believe right theology about Jesus, then our lives must be patterned after his instructions. Why, why is the deity of Jesus so important? Because if I don't believe the deity of Jesus, and then I read instructions about Jesus, I can take it or leave it. Right? Like it, it's, it's, it's like uh, advice or counsel from a teacher or another adult that you say, eh, sometimes I like what you say, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll do what you say, sometimes I'm not going to do what you say. And we have the prerogative when it comes to other adults to do that. Sometimes I, sometimes I seek counsel and I take it, and sometimes I don't take the counsel that's given to me. We don't get that option when it comes to Jesus. If he is truly creator God, then the instructions that he gives is what we call creator rights. He has creator rights. Why does he get to tell us what to do? Because he made us, right? Like he's, he's, he's the crafter of us, right? He gets to design us and he gets to dictate how his design works. So when we look at uh, instructions about marriage, right? We don't take our cues from how we feel. We don't take our cues from, from what seems best to us. We take our cues from what God's word says, right? So, so we don't get to marry whoever we want to as believers. The Bible talks about believers marrying believers, right? The Bible talks about uh, male and females marrying each other, right? And then it talks about males and females staying together in marriage too, that we don't get to just do things that we want to based on our feelings. Well, why? Because Jesus tells us that. Well, why do I have to listen to him? Because he's God, and he created you, and he has creator rights over you, right? And so if we believe right theology about Jesus, then our lives have to be patterned after his instructions, right? And so we're going to continue to see this in the book of John. He is God. We need to believe that. And, the, and as soon as we really believe that and really start to deepen our belief of that, man, every instruction that we read about from Jesus gets filtered through that fact. And we don't get to really discuss if we should or shouldn't do it. It's mandated that we do it because he's our creator. All right? Um, family worship questions for this week. Spend some time sharing Jesus as revealed in the Bible with your kids. Help them know him. All right? I've given you a lot of stuff today. Some of it they'll understand. Some of it they may not understand. But I've probably given you enough to have some dialogue with your kids about it this week. Spend some time sharing Jesus as revealed in the Bible with your kids. Help them know him. And then number two, read through John 1, 1 through 5, a passage that we'll look at in more depth next week. Talk about why we should obey Jesus based on his role as creator. Because until they become a believer, they're not going to like a lot of his instructions, right? And then even after they become a Christian, their flesh is going to be in conflict with a lot of his instructions. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, keep coming back to the truth. I don't get to choose whether I, whether I obey him or not. 
I don't get to choose because he created me. He has creator rights over me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the truths that we see here in John 1.1. God, we're thankful that you have very clearly chosen to write it the way that you've written it so that we can barely understand a little bit about the Trinity here, right? Because, God, we know that we can't fully understand. We can't fully grasp these deep concepts. But, God, I'm thankful that you've written to us in such a way that we can at least dialogue a little bit about it and fully understand that, that there are some, some really unique things going on with you as the Father and with Jesus as the Son and, 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 and the Holy Spirit. We fully understand that there's something unique going on there based on how you've written your word. And God, we're so thankful that you have revealed Jesus as, as this great rescuer for us, but he's not just the best human being that we've ever seen. God, we're so thankful that you've helped us to see that, that Jesus has been there all along, that in the beginning was the word, that Jesus was certainly there with you. And God, we're so thankful that you've revealed Jesus um, as distinct from you, as equal with you. And God, we're so thankful that you chose to send Jesus in human form to us so that we can better understand what God is like. And Father, I pray that as we continue to work through your word and and study the accounts that John has left for us so that we can believe, God, that we would see ourselves believing more and more in you. And that would belief would translate in us, to, in us submitting our lives more and more to you as well. God, we thank you so much that Jesus has come as the God-man to be perfect, to, to die in our place, to provide forgiveness and, and righteousness for us. God, help us to see those things, understand those things, believe those things, and pass those things on to others that we come in contact with this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.